0: Coming up on today's edition of the Next Fan Up podcast. You know what?
1: If a guy's going to plug his podcast, shouldn't he know the name of it? i just screwed that up. Oh, wow. Wonderful information. Can't get that anywhere else.
0: Old friend Matt Chatham stops by to talk some Patriots and a Thursday night football preview. Here we go. Listen. We go out, we hit
1: people in the mouth. You play to win the game. Next Fan Up. I want winners.
0: Patriot and the super fans.
1: But they are who we
0: thought they were. Hello and welcome to Patriots today. I mean, next fan up. I am Pod Vader. Uh, I mentioned Patriots today because there is going to be a lot of Patriots talk in today's podcast. Matt Chatham, former New England Patriot and Super Bowl champion, host of the Real Deal Patriots podcast. I think that's the name of it. Uh, he, he is the founder of footballbyfootball.com. He's going to join us, talk a little bit about uh, the Patriots' woes. What's wrong with that offensive line? What's wrong with that defense? We're going to get into it. Uh, He provides a little bit of hope for Patriot fans. We also, by the way, talk about some fantasy football. Matt is also a member of the Blog Talk Radio Fantasy Expert League. uh, And we have a little conversation about what we as fantasy football players should be looking at uh, when we're looking at matchups. Uh, on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, Matt Chatham obviously has some great experience being a former player, now playing fantasy football. He's going to share some thoughts there. Uh, We're also going to have the Thursday night football preview. It is the Bears at the Packers. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always reach us via email, nextfanup at gmail.com. You can tweet us at NFU Podcast. We're on Facebook, Facebook.com slash NFU Podcast. You can find all of our podcasts there. You can see all of the written previews that the super fans are writing at our website. That's nextfanup.wordpress.com to check all of that out. We'll have uh, we'll have an occasional wager by the super fans where they're going to have to pay up, uh, and and sometimes they're embarrassing, and and sometimes they're just uh, they're just funny. Uh, so check all of that out at our website nextfanup.wordpress.com. All right, let's let's jump into this. Here's Matt. It is the old friend of the podcast, the man from footballbyfootball.com. Former New England Patriot, linebacker, special teamer, extraordinaire. He also played for some other team, but we ignore that part. Uh, He's a Super Bowl champion. He is Matt Chatham. Hello, Matt. Hello, Pod. Thanks for having me on. You know, I'm sorry to ignore, you know, a good portion of your career, but I mean, it happens. It happens. Yeah. It's
1: just like, you know what? It's like, it's like a wife with my wife. You know, you don't acknowledge those other people I dated. (laughs) You kind of just don't. You pretend like that part of my life never happened.
0: Right, Exactly. It's it's perfect. <laughs> uh, you are the uh, you are the perfect person to have on today's show because uh, the New England Patriots, while they're still winning games, are doing so in a very ugly fashion and almost for the first time in the Bill Belichick era allowed a rookie quarterback to beat the Patriots in Foxborough Um which was a total shock and awe surprise, if I could ever say so. Uh, what in the world happened on Sunday?
1: Yeah, it, it's a it's a big, big, big pie to figure out there. Are a lot of different slices to this, how you sort of got from what I thought we all intended to be a sort of modest offensive output from the Texans, Texans to, you know, the biggest they've given up. You know, a really, a really bad day. Not the biggest, I guess the Chiefs put up a little bit more. But the the point of it is... I think when I step back, review it the next morning, um, I felt a little different than I did when I was leaving the press area last night. You know, I I felt like Scramble Guy just ran around. No one could tackle Scramble Guy, and that's an outlier, and that's weird. And, you know, it should sort of be held in its own little place as that. You'll never see anything like that again unless Michael Vick comes back and plays or something, you know. So that was my walk away feeling, uh, reviewing it. Uh, the Ellington throw in the end, at the end of the first quarter was a dart. You know, that was, a, if you're doing the top 10 throws, uh, you know, whatever on ESPN or whoever it was yesterday, your top 10 throws around the NFL, I think a couple of them came from Deshaun Watson's arm. I'd say mm-hmm. two that I would put forward. I think the back shoulder throw to the tight end Griffin uh, with mm-hmm. really, really good coverage by Devin McCordy, But not only to... Put it on him where he did, and the timing that he did—that was a next-level throw. So those two throws uh, are pocket quarterback throws. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with just getting away. So, and and in that instance, in those two particular instances, the coverage was damn good. You know, the, the one that he sw- snuck in there to Ellington, tight coverage and trail, but he had to beat the safety there. And he put that in a tiny, tiny window. And that's uh, very impressive, is my point. So a couple of those are just, wow, that's a big-time throw. And if we go back to sort of the you know the whole reference point of Belichick not having – you know or Be- Belichick always having his way with rookie quarterbacks, I haven't seen any rookie quarterbacks throw like that, <laughs> you know? That's, those were two next-level plays. So I think there's, there's reason for lots of optimism down in Houston, especially since they don't have a lot of established pass catchers anyhow. So he made a couple of those guys who weren't getting a ton of separation and help them make big time plays. So, but that does take us to the other part, and the other part is, yeah, he 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 could not be tackled. And I, I've I've heard Belichick reference these kinds of things in the past um, on days where the scheme was right, the call was right, he got you there, and you just simply couldn't make the play. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, I think it was Tyrod Taylor's first game, uh, maybe a Bills victory against Patriots. I don't recall, but one of those first sort of exposures to him and how he just you know at the end of the day you just have to look and say we couldn't tackle him like I you know we're not going to go do tackling drills where the guy makes seven cuts that that drill doesn't exist can't do that in live you know NFL practices days anymore so you kind of have to chalk it up to he was better than us you know at least in that aspect we could not get him on the ground there's so many instances I was charting as I was watching the game there how many times where I was like okay that was the right call They just couldn't get him. I had eight. I had eight times where his escapability created the play, uh, first and foremost. So, again, tip of the cap. Uh, I think you'll see him do that to a lot of NFL defenses, so I don't want to make that sort of exclusive to New England. But that said, I think the other thing that was game-changing kind of situation, accounts for points twice up on the board, were two plays that I think are somewhat defensible. It was the two penalties with Gilmore. He got the one where, you know, Basically, Watson had thrown into double coverage. Uh, Stefan sort of crosses the face of the receiver. And they sort of, to me, I would call it incidental contact. There was actually one later where uh, a downfield throw to one of the New England Patriots. There was a collision, but the guy was making a play on the ball, so they don't call it. Uh, I thought that. Would have qualified as well. Yes, there was contact, but it was it wasn't like face guarding and like that. It was incidental, and I thought it was relative to the ball, so that's usually allowed. So I didn't love that call, but it ended up basically amounting to points because it, it flipped the field. And then the other one with a late hit on Gilmore, which again I've been in that situation. I actually got that flag uh, against Carolina, I think it was, and it was on a punt uh, years and years ago on a, on a on a Troy Brown punt return. I left my feet to hit my guy when both of us were still in bounds. But when I left my feet, he was a stride away from out of bounds and I was as well. Um, But when I contacted him, we were out. So it's kind of that like, you know, you didn't leave when he was already in the white. That's obvious, right? And I kind of felt like I get what happened with Gilmore. It's like, you know, it's such a bang, bang thing. You're at full speed when you make the decision to go. He's in and you're in. But then the contact happens just you know, a whisker on the other side. But again, I reference that. Those two plays amounted to points or continued drives that otherwise wouldn't have. And then the can't get them on the ground stuff, well, that's its own sort of world. And then the two big completions, well, that ain't just rookie quarterback stuff. That's fat stuff. So if you kind of understand those things for what they were and then go back and evaluate the rest of it, I don't think there's that much bad defense left there.
0: Interesting. I'm, I'm not going to allow the... Uh, bad calls by the refs influence my view of this particular game, if only because, uh, honestly, I think the penalties by both the Chiefs, uh, looking at the Chiefs game and this Texans game, the penalties by those opposing teams are keeping the Patriots alive in these also games.
1: Helped. Yep, also helped. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. it's That's a great point. It did.
0: Um, you know, what's really interesting to me is, At the beginning of the season, everyone was ready to anoint this, the 2007 Patriots. We're going to go undefeated. Uh, We're finally going to get that 19-0 season. Uh, It's going to be fantastic. Uh, I just wrote a piece for musketfire.com, which you can read at musketfire.com, about how, nope, you got the wrong wrong year. Uh, This is the 2011 Patriots, where they were the 31st-ranked defense, the 2nd-ranked offense, and I think, this is what we're in for for the rest of the season where Tom Brady is going to have to win us games because that defense isn't going to do much to hold the other team down.
1: I don't agree with that in the long form. Like if, if Mm. we're evaluating this team in November, December, I don't think there's any, I think there's a much better chance that they're closer to last year's than they are. This is this year's just because I think the quality of the personnel is that much better. But I thought, I thought for reasons of, 19 and no talk I thought that was so silly because of what you have to understand what's going on with this team right now and I thought it people completely discounted that and sort of as you said sort of anointed them and pushed them ahead four months than they were uh this team had so much turnover there the defense is different at like five spots there's no more Chris Long there's no more Jabal Shear. there's no more uh Logan Ryan there's no more you know again I, I can't do the whole list for you but there's a lot right. of change Cassius Marsh is taking uh you know 75 or 80% snaps. I don't know if the numbers are high, but he's taking a lot of snaps. He's a brand new guy. He's just here. Just learned. Uh, you know, a couple. He's learning the defense for less than two weeks now. Uh, you know, Stefan Gilmore is new and very good, but a lot of those mistakes in the first two weeks uh, were communication stuff has nothing to do with how good he can cover a guy one one on one by himself. He can do that as good as, as just about anyone in the league. But the way they cause mistakes early before you've had time with one another is the interchange between routes, you know, sort of passing stuff off or bunches and rubs and or communications on safety location, all that stuff. You never are good at that, you know, day one. It, you know, I mean, you look at a lot of the situations where new defensive backs come in in these kinds of schemes. I mean, there's going to be places where it's not. If you just run cover two all day, never mind. There's not an excuse for later. But this place is one that runs. Now, 10, 15 different coverages throughout the course of a game. Those conditions with all these new people, there's going to be screw ups. There is. And and that's that's just what it is. And, and you know, we're talking to Coach Belichick during the year or during the preseasons and get to talk to him and Tom. They don't even count September and October. They don't even expect to be there now. They, they say, look at us, judge us. We'll figure out who we are, who we are later in October, maybe even early November. And even then, that's all relative to injuries. Maybe something that's changed at three or four different spots and you need even longer time. And you just need to make sure you are where you are at the end of the thing. Um, But I think that's all very important because I, I don't think people appreciated how different the team is just at so many different spots. You know, Dante Hightower was One of the most important pieces last year. He hasn't been out there much, and that matters. (laughs) You know, there's a couple young guys, Butler and Dietrich Wise, who are playing really good football. Um, Lawrence Guy is brand new uh, and doing a good job, but it's it's a it's a largely new group. You know, there's a handful of leaders that are still out there, but it ain't last year's defense. So I think they can rise to a point where they're very similar to last year's defense, but we got to wait till that happens.
0: So you're placing you're placing hope on this personnel is better than it was last year, but they need more time to learn and gel together. So there is hope on the horizon that this team, this defense will get better as time moves on.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's better. I just depend. I, I would say, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on the whole notion of it will improve dramatically. So because of the conditions, I don't know if it's 11 for 11 better. Uh, I would say, obviously, you have a massive upgrade and getting Stefan Gilmore. He's one of the better, you know, just pure cover guys in the league. He's good. He's really good. And once he's at full speed, I, I think those sort of offseason hopes of one of the best sort of cornerback tandems tandems, and secondary groups overall, I think that'll be the case. I think they'll feel that way about themselves come December. Um, I, I think it's probably a step too far to go better personnel when you look at those, the defensive and outside linebacker groups because there's no more Nankovic. There's no more sheer Chris Long had a good game yesterday, still doing good stuff. Um, that's three big, irreplaceables not irreplaceables but you know talk to me about about where Cassius Marsh is you know four years from now or three years from now or something that's different it's not even fair Harvey Longy I think he's going to be a really nice player in this league but he was inactive yesterday Um, you know those are development We're, we're talking about a lot of developmental spots and trying to sort of compare left to right so I think at that position and also with Dante Hightower not playing inside anymore now he's part of that outside group and he's gotten banged up so I think it can be a very good defense with those people once they sort of get more time together. Kyle Van Noy is kind of the hard one to figure because he plays – inside one week outside next week inside outside they're kind of moving around a lot so i think they'll probably have to come to a point where they feel comfortable about him i think he's his best at his best when he's off the ball but not at the point of attack he's a he's a will in my view a, a, a pure will but the so in that particular group you've got a lot of uncertainty i'm not going to project them past last year's group no way uh, but i think they can be near it and i think there's an upgrade in the back end so uh and i think the there's maybe overall an upgrade up front because the additional Lawrence guy is a super stable guy. Dietrich is a really nice new young player. Uh, Vincent Valentine, which we thought well of, is now, you know, I thought he was sort of an ascending guy, too, but he's hurting on IR for the year. So, you know, it's sort of a mixed bag in there. We'll see where it goes. Uh, but, you know, I, I, again, I think it's it's a potential group right now, not one where I would be saying blank about them, whatever it would be.
0: See, you mentioned uh, there's so many things
1: that I I I want to talk
0: to you about. I mean, Harvey Langley being one of them. I mean, he's a guy who definitely shows a lot of potential. I don't get why he's inactive. Uh, I don't get why, um, you know, James White, who I believe appears to be the best playmaker at the running back position, isn't getting the ball more. Uh, these are sort of head scratching things that I'm, I'm going, what? This is, this is different. This is not what I'm used to seeing the Patriots do. The Patriots take those guys and their strengths and accentuate those strengths to, you know, to a, to, I don't want to say to a fault, but, you know, to the detriment of the opposing, of the opposing right. team. And I, I felt like, like Harvey was a, was a kid who could have helped out yesterday, uh, especially chasing down uh, a mobile quarterback. And oh, by the way, uh, Cam Newton's coming to town next week, and we still got two games against Tyrod Taylor, who you mentioned uh, earlier. So it's not like these mobile quarterbacks are 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 not going to be still a problem for the Patriots to face this season.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you there that at least I'll, I'll chalk it up to a head scratcher. I certainly didn't understand it. I do understand, though, the, the longy thing. I I do understand that, there's kind of a multi-layered decision that they always go through and sometimes it'll have to do with special teams. Sometimes it'll have to do with, and I didn't review Harvey Longy's special teams tape going into this week. So I don't know if if he somehow performed poorly there and I'm not saying he did, but you know, if that were part of the formula and they felt like Gino Grissom who they activated is much more stable at that spot and we can't, you know, it's it's possible that that has something to do with it. It was a one for one there, but in that scenario, then you would expect Gino to play some of those defensive snaps to chase down, to chase down Watson but wasn't involved that way so you know what I don't know is I I don't know what he's dealing with because remember a week prior to that he was hurt and out so you know there's there's something there we don't know what it is but I I think Longy is a part of the not meant to be a pun here but the long-term answer (laughs) Uh, but you know they just might not be comfortable with where he's at today and especially if you maybe were still dealing with whatever it was he was dealing with in week two or week one, I guess, Mm. Uh, you know, maybe that affects mobility and chasing down Watson. So who knows? But uh, I think if you, you you fast forward here a month from now, I think long he's involved.
0: One last thing on the defense and then we will transition to the offense because it's sort of related, but uh, without the benefit of an all 22, my, my view of Devin McCourty's game yesterday was not of a positive one. Uh, It looked like he had a tough game, yesterday and I and I did give him sort of a pass in my piece at musketfire.com. And I'm wondering if it's the case of the veteran trying to do too much to cover up the holes that apparently exist on that defense.
1: Let's put it this way. I, I certainly well, we're having a conversation here, Jay, early enough in the week where I haven't watched all twenty twos yet either. I usually it's a late night Monday or Tuesday morning when we even are, are or allowed that on the NFL media thing. So uh, I haven't seen it either. And I had a lot of people tweeting about me or tweeting at me in the game. And this is just the way it happens kind of organically. There's, there's a handful of people who have always thought Devin McCourty sucked, you know, that Devin McCourty's overpaid. I think those people were lunatics. I think yes. he's a really underappreciated player. I think he's one of the guys that people don't realize how good they have at how f- – awesome this guy is his range on the back end his tackling uh his coverage skills are still very good uh so i say that and i obviously know with the griffin pass the griffin touchdown that lit up my twitter feed you know with ah see he sucks you know and i'm like okay (laughs) tremendous throw the coverage wasn't bad he wasn't like wasn't like he was toasted out in open field but i I say that so at that moment then i become more mccordy aware so I watch him for the next five, six plays just to pay attention. And he was really good on those five, six plays. But then after that, it's like, okay, my attention's got to go somewhere else. I got to watch the whole picture. So I don't know that. And I don't know if there are sort of, and this happens a lot. Guy plays 70 plays. There's three plays that color your perception of them. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's just how it right. is. And I, and I completely get that. That's why I like to go back and watch the whole thing. And if there's a guy that we're, we're tagging, I want to watch all his plays. So I would chalk that game up as... I'll concede it without looking that there probably are three or four that, that bothered people and then helped them paint the rest of it. But uh, you know, that's not like they were, you know, you go back and look at Deshaun Watson's breakdown. His box score is actually not as what I thought it would be. I think, you know, you see 33 points and granted there are seven of those are the, are the the return fumble thing against the offense. But when I see that many points, I expected to go back and find Watson running for a hundred yards or something or 300 yards passing Wasn't as much as I thought, so maybe some of it shorter fields, uh, maybe some of it is, you know, kept alive plays. I I don't know. It just, I guess, maybe this is me directing a question back to you, Jay. Are there? Do you recall those three or four plays that might have led you to think that?
0: Well, I mean, the Griffin play was one for sure, um, where I would have expected McCourty to have a little bit. I mean, you you said that it was great coverage. I don't know. I I mean, it was it was definitely a good throw. I'll, I'll chalk it up to that. There was a, there was a great throw by the quarterback, um, but there were some other, the, I believe there was another touchdown pass. And I think it was the Ellington touchdown where McCourty appeared to uh, have been cheating over to Deandre Hopkins uh, and Ellington was left a little more open than he yep. should have been.
1: Yeah, that's um, accurate. But I think, I think that's, that's cause that was his responsibility. I mean, the, the idea that they would, they would cut or half or, whatever you know some sort of combo coverage over hopkins yeah i mean i I kind of expect that they were doing that and if you're half cut whatever word you want to use in in cover fours or any sort of the ones that involves the safety often and he's going to cut the hopkins not the other guy so there's going to be island situations for other defensive backs and that situation is jonathan jones on ellington and that window that i was talking about earlier that's Yeah. McCourty getting back to middle of the field and, and, you know, still kind of sort of being a factor on the play, but yeah, he was definitely favoring away from that. It's, there was a, there was a hole there, but I think that's not by design. He certainly would rather you close it up, but yeah, he's not, he's not, here's the point. He's not playing middle field and has, you know, equal dispersion on those two. He's favoring one for sure.
0: And then, and then, and then it just brings me back to that week one play where Tariq Hill was let go by Gilmore who clearly thought he had safety help and McCordy was in the middle of the field. Yep. Um, so I'm going to cover Simon.
1: I'll I'll, 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 we touched on that on our, on the real thing Patriots podcast uh, here on blog talk, but uh, I, yeah, no, <laughs> there you go. Uh, what was important there to know that the air must have either been pre snap communication between the two of them or Gilmer solely was pre snap. Devin McCordy was at five yards half safeties don't start at five yards half safeties mm-hmm. are the most aggressively low half safety might be eight yards with a turn and bail immediately on the snap of the ball he was at five he was at five and his open his landmark opening on the snap of the ball was back into his right over the top of number two which I believe was a tight end on that play whoever the extended number two was so that wasn't half that wasn't half safety coverage I mean there was no or, or if unless you're you know unless we were to know that Devin was running a different call than the other 10 guys if if we're to presume that what he was running was correct then he was not half top help over the top maybe he's you know he's bailing to that side and he's you know got a 50 50 the two the two options one was a post that ran in front of him so he's got to move with it a little bit but what McGilmore was turning him over to somebody that wasn't doing that job and usually If you know a guy is pre-snap aligned at five yards at the safety position, he is not the deep half player. Almost never, unless he's somebody screwing up.
0: (laughs) We've definitely spent more time on the Patriots than I expected, but one last thing (laughs) uh, on this team, and that's the offensive line. And honestly, I thought Ladrian Waddle did a pretty good job yesterday with the help that he got from Gronk and the running back, whomever was in on that particular series on – Keeping J.J. Watt's name out of the announcer's mouth for most of the game. It was really Nate Solder who struggled. And frankly, Solder's kind of struggled all season long.
1: So I'm always really torn on the things like this because when you put up 36 points, it's almost it is I just it's not almost I don't need to qualify this. It's impossible to not have good protection to get to there or not to have adequate protection to get to that point that said you can definitely do this with nate and find those three to four where you're like "Ooh, bad you know bad and there were obviously uh and i think that that's again in reviewing and talking to you about this now and not having reviewed it um i'm pretty sure that's what we're gonna find i mean you can go back and look at the big completions from the highlight deck even just to something as simple as that from the nfl and on those plays nate's protection was good so he, obviously the worst of the bunch and I watched it back and it is the is the fumble recovery for the touchdown right and mm. I half wonder I again this is the part that sucks about and, and why I'm not a big fan of the pro football focus stuff where they try to grade from the outside because they're going to be wrong on a percentage that makes the grade irrelevant in my view um, and one of those is that play uh, because James White is aligned in a close or near. No, well, it's not near because there's no tight end there, but he's, he's behind Nate, and he's sort of in a hip alignment as the pass rush begins. And I thought, and they'd been doing it throughout the day, that they would chip. Uh, Mer- uh, Merciless, I think, was the guy that was rushing there. Merciless was rushing on Nate, and he passes him up. So it doesn't touch him. And a lot of times, like I've seen other tackles struggle this. I've been the, the rushing guy uh, that's really happy when the back just leaves me, you know, alone so that you get the one-on-one. And sometimes that can kind of surprise the tackle because you're kind of expecting some sort of contact that will slow it. And your kick step, how deep you go with it, is kind of relative to thinking you're going to get that. I thought on that play I, that James was supposed to. and I didn't understand why I passed it up because they'd done differently many other times that said maybe there's something in james's call maybe there's something in that particular play call where he had to get out in the pattern in a hurry and he couldn't stick around so we don't know that right and that's that's the thing about like i don't like the pro football focus idea because you don't know uh without the call but i thought nate's reaction to it was inadequate depth didn't punch well and it looked to me like someone who thought the chip was coming and it didn't happen Right. So I kind of hold that play as sort of a weird one where even if they, even if they hadn't called the chip, they're going to wish they had, right. Or if they, or James did something wrong, you know, it could be on his lap as much as Nate's that said, I obviously there are other plays where there's no chip element and it's just not blocking well enough. Again, 70 play deck for a guy and they put up that many points. There are plenty of really good protections from him. Uh, and, that combination of Merciless, uh, Watt, and Clowney is about as good as you can find on a three-man front. So if you're in there for 70 plays and you lose even five or six, that ain't that bad. But that said, you don't ever want to get your quarterback killed because we know with that offensive tackle position, you have one bad play and you know, it colors your whole day. So I get the, the focus on Nate. I'm, I'm anxious to go look and see if uh, you know, what the whole picture was
0: so we're both members of the blog talk radio fantasy football expert league uh, and you previous to this week were winless uh, but you get your first win and it's a big one over the fantasy football guys who have been the number one or number two team in the league and were previously undefeated as a matter of fact uh, i was previously undefeated looks like i will lose to uh, jay from Razzball, uh this week uh, so our only undefeated team remaining will be uh, Doug from DFSR.com. And our only winless team remaining will be uh, Joel Henard of the Fantasy Insiders. Uh, but everybody else is is going to have at least one victory. It looks like we have parity in the Fantasy League this year.
1: Love it. Yes. And, and you know, parity is good in this world because I I hate that, you know, from doing this a few seasons now with you guys, I hate that where you get to sort of the quarter pole and you realize – two or three people have all the good players <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you're like, there's no way out of this. There's none. Uh, I don't think that's a situation. I think there's a couple horses on a lot of people's rosters and some weeks they performed and some weeks they haven't. And that's kind of where you, you sit. I'm, mean, I'm, I'm a perfect example with, with Jordan Howard. Uh, you know, he puts up almost 29 points yesterday for me and virtually nothing a week ago. So, you know, I, I think it was right to draft them where I did. And when he performs like this, I blow people out of the water when he has a, you know four or five carry game well then you're gonna lose you know that's just kind of how it is and you can't control it um one of the other things that's been sort of uh you know from just the fantasy perspective with me is you know i i I bought in hook line and sinker to sort of the off-season line that you know the third year now in the offense for jimmy graham he's going to ascend he's going to be the guy uh you know and and for two weeks he does nothing (laughs) <laughs> and he actually has an injury uh, which all of us who do this fantasy stuff kind of watch this stuff throughout the week really watch the the injury reports and the practice reports and everything so i've gone with a guy jimmy graham who i think should be a top five tight end performer and expect at least sort of a modicum of you know somewhere that maybe eight to ten range week in week out i'm really really banking on that for these wins he does nothing for two weeks and then for the week heading into his third after no production he's also injured so no production and an injury and a light week of practice. I mean, that says don't use the guy. And he finally produces and I bench him, you know. <laughs> so it's that's just kind of the sort of the frustration of fantasy. There's really no rhyme or reason to why that happened. It just did. And you kind of look where you sit. And I think Longview, I like that I have Devontae Parker. I think that's sort of a, a diamond in the rough that I love that I have on my roster. I like that I have James White. And you referenced it. I started him yesterday, and he didn't do much. And I was just as frustrated with you watching it because for <laughs> fantasy reasons, for this league and for all the, a bunch of FanDuel things that I did. Also, Nesson. I do a fantasy segment on Nesson now. And one of my value guys to pick up was James White. Because Rex Burkhead was inactive with the ribs, and I expected, like we saw in preseason, a bunch of angle routes on these linebackers, and <laughs> they didn't do any of them. So, yeah. you know, that's that. This is the world of fantasy. Sometimes, sort of, all the variables align, and what you should do to follow them, you do, and then they don't use that game plan. So, that's the frustration. But I like where I said, I think I'm going to be around towards the end of this thing. You're going
0: to get me back up on my high horse bringing up James White because it's driving me nuts that James White isn't getting the rock more. And, I mean, at this point, I don't know what the man has to do to prove that he deserves the featured role with the New England Patriots, but they, they've they got their game plan, whatever it is, and I will continue to trust in it for now. By the way, Jordan Howard, uh, similar situation for me in a different league, uh, in my friends and family league. I benched Jordan Howard based on his injuries and lack of – production and then he goes off against a team that I had locked in my elimination pools, the <sighs> Pittsburgh Steelers. So I am now also eliminated from a lot of my pools, which I
1: actually Jay, I actually did nuts. the day I did the day of change with him. I had Matt Forte in there all week. And I trust me it's not I wasn't feeling good about that. But he was you no, know, was listed as as a question right up until the Friday thing, and then they say, "No restrictions." He's going to go, and I'm like, "Okay." You know, I kind of have f- figured I'd fall on my face with that one, but then when you don't, mm-hmm. it's A hey on the on the a real quick point on the on the James White thing. I think the thing that connects to it most is the back chipping. You can't do angle routes if you chip first, so you just you, if you're going to chip with backs, then the backs become uh, checkdowns. So. I think that connects pretty well. And I kind of understand why it wasn't. What I don't understand is why there wasn't screen game and usually right. flexed out and angles or screen game. That would help. If you have, if you have pass rushers blasting up the field, those are the weeks to do screens. Uh, and there was no screen game. So that to me was, I was expecting at least a two or three of those attempts somewhere in the game. And it just never happened.
0: Uh, see, you're getting me back in the Patriots, but in any case, uh, it was uh it, it was definitely a weird, I, I call it the Jim Moore week. You think you know, but you don't know, and right. you never will. Right. Uh, it was it was pretty prevalent across the league. I mean, even your opponent, uh, the fantasy football guys, they played Phillip Rivers, who's at least good for double-digit points, and he only scores three and a half. Uh, you know, Joe Flacco has been doing a decent job At quarterback, he goes and lays an egg against the Jaguars over in London. Uh, Blake Bortles, another perfect example of a guy who uh, sort of (laughs) uh, his first week was un-Bortles-like and he played great. His second week, he goes back to being Blake Bortles that we all know and love. And then his third week, he goes out and he lights it up again. Uh, It's sort of Mr. Inconsistent there with, with Blake Bortles. It's just what what can you say as a former player now playing fantasy like like you mentioned there's no rhyme or, or reason but are there things that we should be looking at when we're when we're looking at matchups when we're looking at players is there something that can give us you know maybe with the benefit of hindsight being 2020 that we can look at to to make better decisions when we go into these weeks
1: yeah, it's it's a good question, and you know, now that I've been doing fantasy a while for it, and I've been I haven't done very well in the in the team stuff, or the, I'm sorry, the season long stuff, but I've done really well in DFS, and I think one of the reasons I have more luck over there is I do the optimizer stuff, you know, I do the the big picture, uh, what would be the most, you know, the, the most projected well lineup against X, and then I usually do about two or three flip outs for me based upon a matchup that might not be a, a, you know, versus the pass or versus the run or something that's sort of too big, more versus individual personnel. You know, like if they were bad versus the air quote pass, but there's other factors that you know that went into that, you can discount that. And you can also go back and find guys that that you think are super undervalued for the week and you know why they were, but they plug in there really well. Like Adam Thielen is a a guy that I liked a lot. I played him a lot of DFS and did well with him yesterday Uh, because when you have what I would term, you know, and again, this doesn't, it didn't, this is not actually work because Stefan Diggs had a huge day yesterday too. But when Case Keenum comes in, I, I think this also relates to, to, uh, to uh, Jacoby Brissett in Indianapolis, when you have a new plugged-in guy, the possession guys or or the guys that are going to run and do a lot of their work inside the numbers, they're always more preferable. You pref- you want those guys because you don't expect these quarterbacks that haven't had played a lot of reps out there to get very far in their progressions. So throw out all the stuff about how that other defense is against blankety blankety blank or whatever. You just know that you know Jacoby's going to try to find the easiest way to get rid of the ball you know and that might be T.Y. Hilton you know in case Keenum uh, fed it to Diggs and Thielen I would have guessed upon that less Diggs balls more Thielen, uh, Thielen balls but that wasn't the case so that, I mean they both did so I, I did well on Thielen but I didn't see the Diggs thing coming in my opponent there uh, the football group guy did and I, w- I was you know that was the biggest week we've had from from Diggs and that to me that kind of came out of nowhere um, but one guy, here's something I look at, and I think you do this a little bit when you're playing. You know, when you're, you're game planning for real football, it's sort of the the roller coaster stuff that the Raiders have. Uh, it, I think provides a pretty good example with with Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper. You know, both are ridiculously talented. You know, both can in any week be a ten catch guy. You know that in any week, relative to how they look at you, that could be first read. And figuring out, though, which week that's going to be is virtually impossible. <laughs> you know? so, and I've struggled and that. I'm saying this to being former football guy. That still gets me, too. And I played Amari Cooper a lot in sort of the seasonality idea, this notion that it's going to go up and down and up and down and up and down. And there's going to be moments where when Michael Crabtree starts having too many of them in a row, it's got to go back to Amari, right? And they sucked for other reasons yesterday. You know, cars getting hit every other down. They can't run the football. That that was that was more issues there. But I struggle with that, where I know that when we're game planning against teams, if there's been a stretch where you can really see reliance on a particular target, usually that next defense up is going to go out of the way to make sure that doesn't happen because they start to think that that's your personality, and if you somehow stop that, then they'll be less effective but the good teams the ones that when you do that they can shift to something else and still be good that's why a team like the Raiders is usually great because you know I had more luck with this whole Crabtree Cooper back and forth thing last year because you could kind of track okay good week good week for Cooper another good week for Cooper it should be a, a high at least target day for 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 Crabtree but through only three games there's no pattern there yet and it's on <laughs> your face and I have
0: Awesome. Matt Chatham is from footballbyfootball.com, but you've recently made a change to the podcast and you plugged it earlier, so feel free to plug again.
1: Yeah, we call it the Real Patriots. You know what? If a guy's going to plug his podcast, he, shouldn't he know the name of it? I just screwed that up. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and I, I've done this on the show a few times now. This, so we've only done with like, three shows, but it's the real thing, Patriots podcast. So we wanted to sort of distinguish ourselves a little bit where if you're, you're tuning into the show, there's so many great fantasy sites out there. There's so many great fan base. Well, not so many. I mean, obviously, yours is the best fan site. A pod, But I'm saying so many other plays where you can get other perspective. We wanted to make sure that it was branded, that you would know this is really meant to be more of a, a deep dive. Look back at the All-22 sort of report through audio, what we see there. So more real thing football, more dirt. Uh, so that's really kind of what we're all about. And it is exclusively Patriots-focused. We flipped that uh, for this season because so many of the thousands of people that listen to the podcast – unfortunately in my sort of following are all Patriots fans. I don't, unfortunately, I shouldn't say said unfortunately, but it's not as wide a spread as, as we otherwise would have liked. And analytics tells you that. So it's like, you know what? We got to speak directly to our audience. So we want to be the, 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 the top Patriots podcast out there and really give you an in-depth look. So that's what we're working on.
0: As I like to say, we can't
1: all root for the best team in football, but for those <laughs> of us that do, this we can rich. at least
0: listen to Matt's podcast and, oh, yeah. and, and, and live in our own little bubble.
1: Yeah. And the fun part there for me, too, and it's just been kind of I should plug this portion of the show week to week, having guys on former other former players that I know that are relative to the the upcoming game. So Mike DeVito in week one, Deuce McAllister, we had in week two for the Saints game. DeVito was from the Chiefs and also my teammate with the Jets last week, Ted Johnson, who is now radio personality for CBS down with the Texans. So we got the Panthers this week. So week to week, we try to try to fill it with other guys that know that other team better than us. So you kind of get the, the in-depth look on the team and then also the in-depth look on the upcoming opponent from a player's perspective.
0: I know I've kept you longer, but you keep bringing up these points. But uh, I had a well, bunch well, of friends who, uh, who who are sobbing today because the Jets uh, did what they weren't supposed to do and actually won a game. Crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, you made the point earlier about how you didn't like how the Patriots look. And, and I agree. And again, we'll cover that in, in super depth on our pod. But man... Uh, what about Pittsburgh? <laughs> what about Denver? Like, mm. uh, what about what about the Dolphins? I mean, those literally, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Denver, Dolphins—those are three presum—I I guess teams you'd presume to be playoff teams. That, I think those are part of your AFC playoff pool. At least a lot of people would think so. And all three lost to really bad teams, <laughs> you know. So Chicago, Buffalo, and whoever the other—and—and then and, and the Jets. None of the three of those I think are presumed to be anywhere near the playoff race. And all three of those playoff contenders in the AFC. Uh, went down to them in pretty ugly fashion, uh, the Steelers especially. I mean, if you're a Patriots fan today waking up and saying, man, what are my Patriots going to do? They struggle that much with that. Well, who are you going to be playing in the history championship team, a team that can't beat the Bears on the road? So, you know, maybe. So, uh, you know, obviously Chiefs Sands are out there hearing that going, what about us? And mm-hmm. I get it. And I get it. And you're probably going to be in that that fight as well. But I think the whole picture across the NFL is there aren't any real teams hitting home runs every Every at bat right now, other than maybe the Chiefs. Uh, and just to give a
0: a quick tease to the show that will be coming out tomorrow from the next fan up, folks. Uh, I was looking at the Week Four matchups, and the Bills and the Falcons. On paper, uh, they're two and one teams going up yeah. against. you Are actually, I'm sorry, the Falcons are undefeated still.
1: Yeah. Uh, but shouldn't have been. And I didn't Bills, like that call at the end. Did you, Jay? <laughs> right. I didn't love. It. No, I, that, no, that that made me <laughs> scratch my head.
0: But those two and one bills are heading down there. So on paper, that's supposed to be a great game. And I think the Falcons are just going to blow them out of the water.
1: Man, I I don't know. I felt that way, too. But Denver could not have looked better the week prior. And they looked completely impotent there in Orchard Park. So I don't know. I'm sort of. Week to week, I I don't know what to think now. So it's week three.
0: Well, if week three was the Jim Moore week, I think week four is the uh, we're getting rid of the pretenders week.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. The pretender teams are getting weeded out this week. Okay. The back on track week. Got it. Okay. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. Matt, thanks for uh, spending so much time with us. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Thanks, Jay. Take care, bud. Hi,
2: everyone. This is. Kevin, the Cowboys Superfan. Um, I'm here with Tom, the Bears Superfan, and Brian, uh, the Packers Superfan, here for the Thursday night matchup. How are you guys doing tonight?
3: Doing pretty well, as well as can be
4: expected. I'm doing good, too. Uh, real exciting win this past weekend, and um, hopefully we get to watch a good game this Thursday.
2: I definitely agree with you there. Um, all right, let's just get right into the action. Um, I'll, I'll toss it over to you first, uh, Tom, since you're Bears Came up with a surprising win. What are you looking forward to most in this game, and do you think that uh, Jordan Howard can continue his his play from from last week's big game?
3: Well, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. It would be nice to see uh, Jordan Howard can continue to uh, to perform the way that he did. He he had 139 yards of rushing last week. Um, unfortunately, you know, rushing is pretty much all that. Uh, that they could do. He and Tariq Cohen uh, pretty much carried the Bears offensively. Um, they they cannot pass the ball right now. Uh, they have no wide receivers uh, on the roster. Arguably, you know, they didn't have any going into training camp. They lost Cam Meredith and uh, Kevin White. But to tell you the truth, neither one of those guys looked like the kind of receiver that they were going to need. Cam Meredith might be a lower-end number-two receiver um, Kevin White hadn't even shown that much. So, you know, it's hard to blame their struggles on on the loss of those two. I just don't think they had much at wide receiver to begin with. I think they may have just misevaluated the position and thought they had more than they had or hoped they did. Against Pittsburgh, they completed one pass to a wide receiver all game uh for nine yards. The whole game was run the ball, run the ball, dump it off, dump it off, throw a little pass to a tight end. Uh, They threw 15 passes, and only six of them were past the line of scrimmage. Three were at the line of scrimmage, and uh, the rest were all behind. So uh, needless to say, I don't think they're going to get away with that against Green Bay. So I'm a little worried that the running backs won't be able to perform just because, you know, when you're one-dimensional like that, it's awfully hard to, to generate any offense. But more than that, I'd like to see if this team can break out and just you know, get a, get some passing yards, and you know, open things up just a little bit. Because if they don't do that, they're not going to win too many games against good teams. And Green Bay is a pretty good team. Who
2: Who do you think is most likely or most capable, I would say, uh, of stepping up in your in your receiver core? If you ask me, I think uh, Zach Miller. I, it would it would be um, pretty obviously be pretty clutch, but he seems like he would be a a good guy to choose who can step up and provide some, some nice support for Glennon.
3: Well, the guy who has the most potential to step up is Marcus Wheaton. Um, They got him back from a broken pinky finger against Pittsburgh. And uh, unfortunately, I don't know if it was the finger or if it was just the fact that he was rusty, but he dropped a couple balls in a row, but he looked like really the only wide receiver that could get open Zach Miller uh, is a reasonably good tight end, but uh, he's not going to. He's probably not going to catch many deep passes. He, he's a good, you know, short range, maybe mid range uh, tight end. He's a good receiver, but he's not, you know, exactly what you'd call a speed demon. So uh, the tight ends really aren't that bad, but they they need the wide receivers to step up. Kendall Wright has not looked bad at times, but he's a slot receiver, um, a little bit small. And uh, he didn't do anything on Sunday uh, at
2: all. So, Brian, uh, let's get to you. You guys are coming off a exhilarating comeback. It was in Green Bay. It was the
4: hottest game ever played in
2: Green Bay. Oh, wow. Wonderful information. Can't get that anywhere else. Um, but <laughs> you, you guys barely came away with it. Um, Bengals should have won that game. But what are you thinking going into this game on uh, Let's? Are, are you are you worried about any part of the Bears? To me, the the Packers Bears rivalry, since Rodgers, there is just encapsulated by the 2014 game, I think it was, when Rodgers had like six touchdown passes in the first half. So every time these these teams go up against each other, I just I just expect those things to happen. But uh, let's let's see what you got to say.
4: Yeah, sure, I'd love to. So I mean, <laughs> it is usually a pretty entertaining game when Chicago plays Green Bay. This time around, I've got some major concerns about our offensive line. We are down our top five offensive tackles, Bakhtiari, Balaga, Barclay, Murphy, and Spriggs. Uh, so we it'll be really interesting to see what we do to protect Rodgers and really try to run the ball this, this game because we have, we're just so depleted there. Um, I think last week the coaches really failed to protect Rodgers, especially in the first half when it was obvious that uh, Kyle Murphy was overmatched playing left tackle. Um, He actually went on IR today, and we ended up bringing in some practice squad player from Arizona. So we'll have to see kind of what happens. I did hear that David Bakhtiari was a limited participant in practice today, so that would certainly help matters out. But, man, our offense is going to look drastically different if we have to rely on two basically third-string offensive tackle to defend uh, against the Bears' defense. I think there's a couple ways we can do that. I think I would like to see us try to start to establish the run a little bit more. Um, If you remember last year, Ty Montgomery, this is really the game where he first stepped into the running back role, uh, and he rumbled to 160 yards. So I think if we can find a way to get him going again, it could certainly take some pressure off of those tackles and take some pressure off of Rodgers. I think it'd be nice, too, if we can get a lead to rest Montgomery to a certain extent because we drafted three rookies this year and have seen almost no snaps of them during the regular season and saw very limited action in the preseason. So we really don't know what we have at that position behind Montgomery at this point. Passing the ball, I think you've gotta you got to plan to get the ball out on time. I know that's not really what Rodgers tends to do. Uh, he's very good at holding on to it and holding on to it and then pulling a rabbit out of his hat. But I think when you're as depleted at tackle as we are, I'm a little bit nervous about really letting him dance around in the in the backfield. um He may not have time to dance around, quite frankly, so on offense, that's what I'm expecting to see. Tom really referenced kind of what i wanted to wanted to cover too, which was just the bears reliance on those running backs and you know lucky for us, we may not be able to defend the pass at all, but we that's one thing that we're actually okay at, so I would say. It certainly helped if we had Mike Daniels back. Um, He's been injured. Uh, He missed last week, but I think everybody saw the impact that he can have in that Seattle game in week one. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, too, was just rookie Josh Jones uh, last week played out of his mind. He had 12 tackles. Three of them were tackles for losses and two of them were sacks. He looked like the best player on our defense. And granted, he's a young player always going to have concerns about consistency, but as a Packer fan, you have to feel pretty good about finally having an athletic inside linebacker who, from a skill set perspective, looks like he should match up well against a Tarek Cohen type of player better than anybody we've had. I think those are kind of some of the key matchups that I'm looking for on both offense and defense.
2: Great stuff. I just have one question for you that I'm just sort of curious, and then I guess we can get to uh, the predictions from both you guys. Um, I'm just wondering, how how is Martellus, Bennett, and Rodgers, How is their connection or chemistry looked so far in the season? I haven't really gotten a chance to, to watch anything.
4: Yeah, I think they get along real well. We actually targeted Martellus, I think, 10 or 11 times last week against Atlanta, uh, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago already against Atlanta, and really didn't come away with much to show for it. I think he caught three of them. He's kind of had a bigger impact blocking for Green Bay than he has catching the ball. Um, we have seen... Uh, you know, we lost some guys on our O line this off season, and he's been able to kind of help fill part of that void just because he is such a good blocker. But really, the receiving tight end that I think. Most people don't know about but it's probably the better receiving prospect for Green Bay is Lance Kendricks. He really started to shine a little bit last week. Uh, he, I think he had a 50-yard reception to set up our first score, uh, and then he drew a, a defensive pass interference penalty that was also a really large gain. So a few signs of life from our tight end group that we haven't had for a little while.
3: Yeah, you kind of wonder if Bennett's going to treat this as a revenge game. He didn't, He didn't leave Chicago on great terms. So uh, he may be looking forward to coming back. Yeah,
4: I mean, I think uh, it's certainly a possibility. He's got a nice catching radius, a good end zone target. He may not move. I don't think he can run those seam routes like he may have at one point in his career, but he can still catch the ball and he's physical and he'll post up linebackers, post up safeties. Yeah.
3: Uh, as far as an X factor, it's it's a little hard to say, but I'm I'm going to say Prince Amukamara, who is coming back as a cornerback. He came back against Pittsburgh. He's, uh, he's been talking a lot about getting turnovers. Um, I don't know if this is going to be his game to come through and actually put the money where his mouth is, but he could make a difference in his second in his second game back, and I, I think that he may be able to generate some turnovers. If he did, it would certainly help. In terms of a prediction, I'm going to disappoint Bears fans, and I'm going to try to be a realist here. I'm, I'm going to say that the Packers are probably going to win it's, it's a little hard. It's hard to tell how many points they're going to score. I mean, I, I can say the, the Bears aren't going to score many. But the Bears' defense plays a, a two-deep zone. And so an awful lot about, about how many points they give up have to do with how the other team plays. And if they execute, then uh, then you know the Bears aren't going to do a whole lot to stop you. If you can, if you can work your way down the field, uh, you'll do pretty well. So I'm going to make a wild guess. And I'm going to say that the Packers win 24-14. to 14.
4: As far as an X factor, and we touched on the guy I wanted to highlight already, which is Josh Jones, but something else to just watch for uh, and, and could have a huge impact on the game this Thursday. Um, we lost our long snapper and he went on IR this year just to give you a, a sense of how badly we've been hit by uh, you know injuries along that offensive line we, we had to replace our long snapper this week uh, so he was new to the building as of today lots of uh, work with the the colder and the kicker you never know kind of what what's going to happen to that um, function when you introduce a new variable so Something to watch for is our brand new long snapper, and God, I hope it doesn't come down to uh, a real clutch kick because you hate to have somebody that's fresh in there trying to trying to make a big impact like that. Um, I do think the Packers win. I think hopefully the coaches learn their lesson from last game and will do more to protect Rodgers when it becomes obvious that whoever is playing opposite David Bakhtiari, uh, if we can protect that player, um, I think we'll in good shape and we may be able to march up and down the field as Tom alluded to if we let things get away with like we did last week who knows our offensive line might be bad enough that it could submarine our our game so um, I tend to think that we'll we'll play well I think we've hopefully learned that lesson I'm going to say Packers win maybe 28-16 I think we can score some points against the Bears.
2: very very good Um, great breakdown guys I wish you guys both the best of luck I hope you guys can follow up last Thursday's performance. At the Rams and Niners. It's going to be tough, but if two teams could do it, it'll be two teams from the NFC North. Um, talk that, to you guys that'd later. That'd be nice. It'd make me happy. Thanks to
0: Kevin, our Cowboy superfan, for hosting that battle uh, between Chicago Tom and Green Bay Brian. Uh, They broke it down uh, pretty much better than I could, that's for sure. Uh, The line in this game is a touchdown, minus seven for Green Bay. I think Green Bay is going to take care of that wholeheartedly. This is the first time in NFL history, by the way, that uh, two teams went into overtime the previous week to meet each other the following week on the Thursday night game. So uh, it's a short week. Both teams played some extra football on Sunday. I'm always going to go with the home team on that, and I'm going to feel comfortable with that seven-point spread. All right. A couple other things to bring up here before we close things out. A lot of talk – uh, has been centered around politics and, and football, and I know a lot of people are turned off by the conversation. They want us to stick to just sports. Sports is their escape from that sort of thing. H- however, I feel that it is a topic that we can't avoid, um, despite the desire to escape the conversation. I do feel it's an important enough conversation to have, and we will be having that conversation on the Thursday podcast. Uh, There will be uh, timestamps in the show notes, so if it is absolutely a turnoff for you, you don't want to listen to that talk at all, there will be timestamps in the show to let you know when to jump ahead uh, so that you don't have to partake. But I encourage you greatly to listen to our conversation about politics and sports, because it's not so much about whether it's right or wrong. Uh, It is about how many of us want sports to be that escape. Is sports the right platform uh, to be holding protests? Is the message of the protests being lost? Is there a generational gap in understanding what the protests are all about? These are the types of things that no one else is talking about that we will be talking about on tomorrow's podcast. So I do encourage you to please listen to our conversation about politics and sports, because it's not going to be what you have been hearing incessantly all week long about whether it was right or wrong uh, about what happened uh, last weekend in the NFL. It's going to be more about sort of the society that we're that we're being brought up in and how that is shaping and molding uh, future players, uh, future events uh, and even our young. Uh, So these are the types of things that I want to get into. This is going to be a conversation where my mass communications professor at Emerson College, Donna Helper, will be proud of me because I'll finally be using uh, a mass medium to have real discourse uh, about a, a very important topic that I think. Uh, you know, we can all benefit from. There's not going to be name calling. There's not going to be any of that. This is going to be a real conversation about uh, a lot of different things. And I really encourage you to listen to it. But if you don't want to listen to it, we'll have obviously the Thursday preview like we normally do. We're going to be trying out a few new things on the podcast as we look to evolve as a show. Uh, So I do expect uh, you to notice that quite dramatically in tomorrow's podcast, not just with the conversation at the beginning of the podcast, but even uh, further on as we go through the picks of the week. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, that is today's show, Uh, a little preview of what you're going to get tomorrow's show. Uh, Be part of the conversation. There were quite a few of you that were part of the conversation, whether you knew it or not, uh, reacting to my tweet that I sent to Colin Kaepernick to invite him on the show. Uh, Spoiler alert, Colin Kaepernick did not respond to my uh, social media outreach, but... uh, a lot of you did react to that social media and we're going to have a conversation about that. So uh, reach out to us nextfanup at gmail.com at NFU podcast is our Twitter and facebook.com slash NFU podcast, which might even be a better place to hold a conversation about uh, politics and sports, as that is one of the main topics we'll be addressing on tomorrow's next Fan Up podcast until then here's Landry Jones. There you have it. Next week will be next week. Today,
1: I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to go back home and, and hang out. With the
2: Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No,
3: no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky?